Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, March 24th, 2023. I'm Mike Kachopoli. All right, how are you? Big Friday show, Friday night. Um, I hope everyone has had a great week and is getting ready for a big weekend. But before that, we still have a, a very big action-packed Friday show, an action-packed Friday show. There's a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. Um, As I had mentioned yesterday on last night's show, I will read Rand Paul's column on Fox News about uh, the end of Fauci's NIH. Let's hope, let's hope that this will indeed be the end of Fauci's NIH. Um, certainly the NIH as we know it, and we hope the same thing happens for the CDC, that the CDC as we know it will no longer be come 2025 when uh, Ron DeSantis takes over uh, as president of the United States. There's a lot to be done with these three-letter agencies, uh, especially after the last three years, you know, where we see basically how you, how worthless they were, how much destruction they did. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, there's some other stuff going on also. There really is. There's uh, there's uh, more news about California's population exodus, how people are leaving California in droves and continue to leave California in droves. There's some kind of a, a mis- uh, uh, well, falsehood that people only left California during the quote unquote COVID years and now people will stop leaving or people will move back here. It's not going to happen. We're seeing more and more uh, hemorrhaging of the population of California for many reasons, many reasons. Uh, I think I think COVID just it just made it worse, just, you know, just made it even worse than it already was. But people are already leaving California before COVID. Uh, COVID just accelerated the uh, exodus. So we'll talk about that also. Uh, but, you know, I'm very ups- I'm, I'm very upset and I'm very concerned. I'm upset and I'm concerned. And it's uh because does anyone know does anyone know where this guy is? I'm not sure where this guy is and we're trying to find him. Hi, good night everybody. So do we know where that guy is? Do we know where that guy is? Hi and good night everybody. Because he seems to be missing. He seems to be missing in action. Uh, no one can find Mr. Fetterman. If you don't realize who that was, that was John Fetterman. Um, this Fetterman thing is one of the biggest, <laughs> uh, how can I put this? Uh, biggest con jobs, okay? Biggest political con jobs ever, okay? But ever inflicted on people. But then again, was it inflicted on them? The voters of Pennsylvania knew this guy, Fetterman, was a disaster. They knew he wasn't healthy enough to be senator for, well, as it turns out, for about five weeks, let alone six years. This guy, this whole thing was once again showing, just like with Biden, how the Democrats will put up anybody. And in certain places, those anybodies can win. It doesn't matter if they hide in their basement and don't do debates. It doesn't matter if they never give press conferences. It doesn't matter if they've had a stroke. It doesn't matter if they can't talk straight. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. 
We all, any, anyone with a brain, anyone with a functioning brain, meaning someone who's not a Democrat, knew that this guy Fetterman wasn't going to last, wasn't going to make it, was just simply being pushed as a front person who would then be soon replaced by someone else, by the, by the candidate of the choice, I believe, by the, uh, for the Pennsylvania governor, from the Pennsylvania governor, Democrat. So we knew this. We knew this. We all said this. We all said, what are you doing? Why are you voting? For a guy who just had a stroke, okay, who can't put two sentences together, who has to read off of a teleprompter in order to understand what people are saying, we simply said, you can't give this guy in this condition a six-year job. A six-year job. We, we told you that. We told you that. But look, I know that horrible Dr. Oz, that horrible pill pusher. Right. Is that was that the problem with Dr. Oz that he pushed bad vitamins? OK, forget about all the Democrats who pushed poisonous vaccines for three years, who continue to push poisonous, poisonous jabs. With each new jab comes more poison, comes more side effects, comes more deaths. Forget about those, those. So those politicians, those Democrats that pushed a poison vaccine, a useless piece of shit vaccine for three years. They're OK. They're OK. We can elect them. But no, God forbid, don't push the guy that pushed a vitamin, a vitamin that people said didn't work. This is this is the state of things these days. This is the, the disaster that politics is. And it's all because of the media. The media pushed Oz as this snake oil salesman who, God forbid, oh, my God, he really lives in Jersey, not Pennsylvania. Like, what the fuck is the difference between Jersey and Pennsylvania? There's no difference. Yet Fetterman, who could not put two words together, hello and good night, good night, lovers, is a comedian, hello and good night. We told you, we told you that this guy was just being pushed. To get the job, and then they were going to replace him with somebody else. This guy would not last six years. I didn't think he wouldn't even last six weeks, but that's the situation. The guy could not last six weeks, but it wasn't the stroke. Now he's depressed. Well, then he went into a center for depression. Great, great. But from what I hear from the experts, he's been at that center for depression for like five times as long as most people need to be. Usually they give you a little bit of counseling, give you some medication and send you on your way. Where is this guy? Has anyone heard from him in the last month? Has anyone heard from John Fetterman? I saw some maybe two weeks ago, some stock photo put up of him at a desk with papers. What does that mean? He's at a desk with papers. So we, we, we you know, once again, we told you this. We told you that this guy wasn't going to last, that this was just a joke being perpetrated on the voters, that this was all a game they were playing, that they hid him away until there had been early voting, two weeks, and then they let him do one debate for an hour, two weeks before the election. That this was all, once again, a setup job. This is how you rig elections without rigging elections. You know what I mean? This is how we do it. You know what I'm saying? And yet the people went for it because they believed 
to bullshit mainstream media, the left-wing fake news, and me, the people media, that Oz was this snake oil salesman, pill po- pill popper, pill pusher who lived, God forbid, he lived, uh, he lived uh, in Jersey and not Pennsylvania. He lived in two, two miles outside the state line. Who gives a shit? But the fact that Democratic voters went for this shows how dumb they are. This shows how dumb they are. This shows how easily they can be manipulated. And they were manipulated. Now, oh, it's too bad he had a stroke and it's too bad he has depression. If indeed he has depression. That might just be once again another smokescreen. It could be the fact that his, his, his mental health was deteriorating. It wasn't getting better, right? That, this, that the effects of the stroke were getting worse and he wasn't improving. And so they pretended he had the depression and it wasn't the stroke. Remember, they came out and said right away, no, not the stroke. This is not the stroke. He did not have – how many times did the mainstream media push the narrative? He didn't have another stroke. He didn't have another stroke. It's depression. Wait a minute. He went to the – so did he have a panic attack? Why would why would depression be mistaken as another stroke? I've never heard that in my life. It's that someone has depression, but they think they had a stroke. I never heard of it. So was it a panic attack brought on by depression? I guess that's possible, right? Could be not really a stroke. People think you have a heart attack when you're having a panic attack. Could be that. But the fact of the matter is, where is he? Where did John Fetterman go? And why aren't we demanding that we see him? And we and we know he can work. So he's just collecting a paycheck. He's just collecting a paycheck, a big paycheck. But he's not the first paycheck the guy's ever really earned in his life at 50 years old. But he's not actually doing anything. Do the people of Pennsylvania deserve what their tax dollars are going to? Is he actually working? Or is this like uh, the old uh, Brooklyn longshoreman job? Well, you don't do anything, but you get a check. Where is he? But we told you this. That's the bottom line. We were right again. How many times do we have to be fucking right? We were right again about this guy. At least Oz was functioning. He could speak. He could speak. He could put two words together. He could put two sentences together. That's a hell of a lot better than a guy that can't do anything. I'd even say regardless of politics. At least he'd be a functioning senator. This guy is not a functioning senator. But this is the game the Democrats play these days. They, it's from the Biden playbook of they can hi- you can hide in the basement. All right. They can hide you in the basement. You can be dribbling. And because you have a D next to your name, they'll vote for you because we'll use the mainstream media, the 90 percent of the media that you see and hear and listen to that's on their side who will push a certain false narrative in order to get those Democrats elected. We can hide them in the basement. It doesn't matter. We'll just say that the Republican running is a Trumpy Trumper, Trump, 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 MAGA, Super MAGA, Mega MAGA, King MAGA, MAGA King, King, King MAGA. You see, it's this that makes that uh, revenge part of me want to come out and want to see Trump win and become president again. Just as revenge. Now, I know, I think for a while I take a couple of deep breaths and I realize, no, I don't want Trump to be president again. But I can understand I can understand when things like this happen, I can understand 
the Trump supporters wanting that revenge to come to fruition. I can understand it psychologically. I can understand it emotionally. Because the Democrats deserve a comeuppance. They do. The, the politicians do. The media does. And the voters do. The politicians and the media for, for pushing their false narratives and the voters for, for falling for it. This Fetterman was not suitable for office. This Fetterman was not suitable to, do a, to be a greeter at Walmart, let alone senator. He needed to get the help he needed to get better, whether it be the, the stroke, whether it be the depression. And don't tell me the depression came on after he became senator. He was only senator for four fucking weeks. You tell me being senator for a month made him depressed? Wait a minute. Being a U.S. senator made him depressed? Getting a uh, $200,000 plus salary made this guy depressed? Does that make any fucking sense? It's like he had any real responsibility. He didn't have to do anything. What made him depressed? The fact that he had uh, 20 people, a staff of 20 people working at his beck and call. What would he have did? No, we know he probably saw if it's depression. Once again, that's why I don't know if I believe the depression thing. But if I do believe it, he had it before. He had it before he was elected. So he had a stroke and deep depression. And the voters of Pennsylvania put him in. Instead of getting help, you get help for the stroke. You get better. You improve. You get help for your depression. And then and then maybe six years from now, you run again. It's like he was 90 years old. So shame on him. Shame on the shame on the Democratic Party. Shame on the Democratic run, the Democratic run media. Shame on his family. Shame on his wife. Shame on everyone around him for pushing this guy who was not ready for prime time. Like I said, most people, if something like that happens, they don't get any job. They get better first, let alone one of 100 U.S. senators. And obviously, we've been proven right again. We're right again. He couldn't do his job. But does anyone know where he is? Should I put out a call? John Fetterman. Where are you, John? No one knows where he is. Only in this country could people get away. Could, could a politician as high as Senate get away with this? When there's no, and of course, like I said, if he were a Republican, the left wing media would be on it every fucking day. But because he's a Democrat, they don't even go near it. They don't even touch it. It's it's so shameful. This media we have is so pathetic, so weak, so hypocritical, and so much the enemy of the people. Like I said, I hate I hate giving Trump credit, but when they have to give credit where credit's due, he was right. The media as we know it now are the enemy of the people. So if anyone has heard from or knows where John Fetterman is, please let me know. I'd like to know. Because I, ha- I have no clue. Okay. You know, I, I guess I should go to, um, I should go to Fauci, uh, back to Fauci. My favorite, my favorite guy, my favorite guy. 
Tony Fauci. Uh, Rand Paul wrote an opinion piece for Fox News uh, yesterday, and it's titled, This Will Be the End to Fauci's NIH as We Know It. Um, when J. Edgar Hoover died in 1972, he had been director of the FBI for about 37 years. When he started in that post, the Air Force was not yet a separate branch of the armed forces. By the time his tenure ended, Neil Armstrong had walked on the moon. The government's civil rights abuses over that long period are well known. Hoover's FBI spied on groups like the NAACP and the ACLU and conducted domestic surveillance on almost any prominent figure who seemed politically threatening. Albert Einstein, an early opponent of nuclear weapons, had an FBI file over 1,400 pages long by the time he died in 1955. John Lennon was put under surveillance after he met with anti-war activists in New York in 71. The the INS tried to deport him a year later. Perhaps most infamously, in 1964, Hoover's FBI sent an anonymous letter to Martin Luther King Jr. attempting to blackmail him into committing suicide. Many of the FBI's activities in those years were blatantly unconstitutional, but few were brave enough to speak against them. It was too dangerous to cross Director Hoover. His influence was so strong that when he turned 70, President Lyndon Johnson issued an executive order granting him a special exemption for mandatory retirement on the Civil Service Retirement Act. A decade later, public opinion began to shift. Six presidents had come and gone, while Hoover remained the top of the most formidable law enforcement agency the world had ever known. But when his abuses of office came to light, they sparked an outcry against one man holding the reins of power for so long. So in 1976, Congress enacted a 10-year term limit for the FBI director. Now, in more recent times, another power-hungry figure outlasted seven presidents and oversaw his agency's transformation from Medical Research Institute into the foremost biodefense research agency on Earth. Yet, in nearly four decades, the Senate never once voted to confirm him. The law never required it. As an old saying goes, those who not learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. Dr. Anthony Fauci, head of the NI, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID, for over 38 years. And by the time he retired, he was drawing the largest salary in the entire federal government. His salary skyrocketed after 9-11 when the George W. Bush administration, at the behest of Vice President Dick Cheney, brought all biodefense research under the control of the NIAID director. This included projects that were previously overseen by military or intelligence agencies. As one article put it, with the stroke of Cheney's pen, all United States biodefense efforts, classified or unclassified, were placed under the aegis of Tony Fauci, who went from being the director of one of NIH's constituent 27 institutes to being the only one who really mattered. We now know Dr. Fauci used his perch atop the nation's biodefense research apparatus to finance gain-of-function experiments on bat coronaviruses in China. In doing so, he bypassed a security protocol to screen out projects that pose too much risk. Though the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic are still unknown, some scientists believe it may have begun in a lab. If so, the virus may have developed from a research method like the ones Dr. Fauci was bankrolling. The American people deserve better. 
That's why I recently introduced the NIH Reform Act to divide the NIAID into three parts that align with its stated mission, better understand, treat, and ultimately prevent infectious, immunologic, and allergic diseases. As it's currently configured, the NIAID's jurisdiction covers everything from asthma to Ebola, from peanut allergies to the plague. My bill will replace it with three independent institutes, one for infectious diseases, one for immunologic disease, and one for allergic disease. The director of each new institute will be appointed by the president, confirmed by the Senate, and in keeping with the 10-year precedent at the post Hoover FBI, permit to serve no more than two five-year terms. J, no more than two five-year terms. J. Edgar Hoover and Tony Fauci are two real-life examples of how too much power in too few hands creates an echo chamber where decisions cannot be questioned. But a free and open society depends upon questioning those in power. A people's trust in science depends on it too. So to me, that's very common sense that you can divide that agency instead of having just one person overseeing the whole thing, you can divide it into three separate parts and have different directors for each part. And they all have to be just like the uh, Supreme court justices and other appointments appointed by the president and, and absolutely must be confirmed by the Senate and two five year terms. So 10 years, that's it. I think that's a great idea. And I think he's doing that. Rand Paul, because of a guy like Fauci, who's been in this position for four decades now, about 40 years. And by the way, it's interesting. He doesn't mention this, but so during George W. Bush's uh, presidency, this is when this all happened. This is when Fauci got all this control. Bush and Cheney gave him all this control and his salary went up. I remember watching these presidential debate between George H.W. Bush, the father of, of W. And uh, I guess this was uh, a, this was again Dukakis or this might have been the it was either the it was either the uh, general election debate or a uh, yes, it was the general election debate, I believe. And this was in so this would have been what, 88. Um, and I remember Bush, the father Bush was asked a question at the debate, the presidential debate. And it was the, the question was like, it was a weird question, but it was like, if there's some person in politics or in Washington, D.C., who does not get enough notoriety, who would it be? And his answer was Tony Fauci. That's very interesting because during Reagan Bush's years, right, of 81 to 89, he was running uh, – he, he was uh, known to be pushing AZT. He was a pusher of AZT. To the point where there were so many rallies against him at gay pride parades and events where there were even signs being held up. And you can find these images on Google images of why you Tony Fauci, why you killing us? So he was pushing just like he just like he pushed the vaccines, which which do nothing to stop the virus and have hurt and killed people. He pushed AZT, which did nothing to stop HIV and actually killed thousands and thousands of gay men, which is very interesting. So he was a total disaster, right, in the 80s. And yet Bush, the father, said, oh, he was one of the unsung heroes of the decade. Doesn't that ring a bell now where you have politicians pushing how great he is, even though he's a disaster? 
So what's very interesting is that Father Bush mentioned him at a debate as someone who deserves notoriety. And then, what, more than a decade later, about 14 years later, 13, 14 years later, Bush and Cheney, W and Cheney, make him a big shot. And this is, once again, that couldn't have happened if we had Rand Paul's 10-year, right? It's a 10-year term limit in place. So what goes around seems to come around here. And as we know, Tony Fauci, Tony Fauci is a, is a political figure. He's a politician. He's not a doctor. He is not a doctor. Just because there's a DR, period, in front of his name doesn't make him a doctor. I'd say he's a politician first and a doctor ninth. And that's all he cares about is the politics of a situation. It doesn't matter. It, there's, no, there's no do no harm. With any, if, if harm is better for him politically, then harm it is. And that's what we saw during the AIDS crisis. Look at all the harm he did between 81 and 88, yet he had Bush the father mentioning him at a presidential debate. And look at all the harm he has done over the last three years. And yet there are politicians on the Democratic side this time who are calling him a hero and the left wing media calling him a hero. So that's politics for you. And I think what Rand Paul wants to do is, you know, there's always going to be politics involved, just like there's politics involved with uh, the Supreme Court justices. But this way. There'll be more accountability and there'll be a term limit. So someone can't be in that position for four decades and, of course, get incredibly corrupt and way too comfortable in their position. So I, I'm all for this. I'm all for, of course, Democrats, I'm sure, will will fight this. But just just the the chilling similarities between the 80s and 90s and the AIDS crisis and what we went through in the last three years, particularly with a supposed drug or vaccine or cure that did nothing to cure said disease and just made things worse and killed more people. But once again, both worked well for Tony Fauci, worked well for Tony Fauci politically, for Tony Fauci's bank account, for Tony Fauci's stature. This is why I say, I know we talked about this yesterday. I know it wouldn't be the end of it if he went to jail, but it would be such a huge accomplishment because the guy probably should have been put in jail 30 years ago for what he did during the AIDS crisis. He probably should have been put behind bars a long time ago. So he's been free all this time, making all of this uh, money all this time, getting all these kudos, these awards, these grants, making his friends wealthy. So I think putting him in jail, I think, I, I think that's much more than just symbolic. I really do. Because the guy deserves to be in jail. Some people deserve to be in jail. He deserves to be in jail. I'm not saying put him in jail because he rubs me the wrong way. I'm not saying put him in jail because I can't stand his face or his voice, which I can't. But he should be in jail for what he's done to people, for the atrocities. He's brought on millions of people between AIDS and COVID. And who and everything else in between that we probably even heard of. 
Hey, Karthik, how's it going on this uh, Friday night, Saturday morning? You there? Hello, Karthik. Calling Mike, calling Karthik. Um, there you are. All right, it it uh, took me a few seconds to unmute. Uh, what's up, man? What's on your mind? A, is, that a, is, that a, is that a photo of you on your thing here? Yeah, okay, the mask. Okay, what happened was it's actually... Why are you wearing a mask? Why? Um, it's actually not for the reason you relax, man. It's actually not for the reason you think. Um, so what happened was I shaved my head. As you can tell, this picture was me with long hair. Yeah, you got hair. Yeah, hair. Yeah, so I shaved my head recently, and I, and I did a good job of shaving it. But um, after I shaved it, I just regretted doing it. Uh-huh. And then so this was like the uh, uh, only picture I could find with. Uh, <laughs> me having long hair you know and as you can tell i tried to crop at some of it yeah you did i wouldn't get asked this question but you know you know a mask looks even worse when you have glasses on you know that right uh i guess i don't know without it doesn't really matter um glasses (laughs) no glasses hey Um, wait a minute don't they have those editing tools now where you can edit things out uh i guess but whatever who cares that would take too long oh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you don't care. You don't care. Hey, yeah, you're like, you're like, I'll annoy Mike. It's okay. Who cares? Who cares? And, uh, and, and you know, I, I would have to paint it with a skin tone, you know, that. <laughs> yeah. Mine, right. you know, maybe it's, you know, I have dark brown skin, you know, maybe it would be tough. And anyway. Yeah. Um, Wait, your hair's gone? Well, I, 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 I shaved it with clippers recently. Oh. So yeah, it's pretty well. No, I I don't have hair loss, thankfully yet, at least. But mm-hmm. um, no, I so temporarily at least it is gone for a few months. You know. Oh, all right. Back. All right. But anyway, um, so what were you saying about? I I heard what you said earlier about Fetterman and stuff. Yeah. Do you know where he is? Do you have any idea? He, he's in the Walter Reed Hospital. I think it's been like five weeks or something. I don't know. Yeah, but but uh, most experts I hear say that's about five weeks longer than he should have been. That usually yeah. that's like a one week thing. They yeah. they, they well, treat no, you. I've, they yeah they give you yeah, some drugs. Yeah, I, I I'm not some expert on going to the hospital mm-hmm. for depression, obviously. But um, no, look, you know, I I feel bad for him that he has you know serious uh, issues like that. You know, I you know many people, especially young people, have a lot of uh, mental health issues. Um, uh, recent, you know, and stuff, but it just is ridiculous that this guy's still getting paid, you know, $200,000 or I think the salary for him is like 180 for the Senate, 180 grand around there. Around that. Ridiculous. And, and so, and so this guy gets like, like unlimited paid leave and, 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 and unlimited sick leave while, you know, and he, worked, people, he only worked for four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. A month or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, most people like me and you and, 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 and everybody listeners like Daniel, uh, Carnell and Hussein here, uh, wouldn't get, uh, you know, barely any paid sick leave or, you know, uh, it's well, look at ridiculous. me, look at me. I, I've been offered a lot of money not to do this and I'm doing it. You see, so they, uh... yeah. And, and I could be wrong, but, but I don't think he has to pay for his, uh, stay at uh, Walter Reed. I'm not uh, sure. No, of course I, I not. You're, I'm paying. You're paying. He's not paying. Yeah, no. Like, like. So I live in San Diego, and and if I wanted to go to UCSD, which is like a great hospital in San Diego, I for at least he's been there for a month or plus, probably maybe five weeks by now. I would have to pay. I don't know, thousands or maybe even hundred thousand plus, probably. Yeah, it's Walter Reed. Well, first of all, you can't get into Walter Reed usually unless you're like a veteran, or but he he was like uh, you know sent there because. He's a politician, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I know sometimes politicians have gone there. Um, yeah. But it's supposed to be for military people. You know, it's 
It's supposed to be those who put their lives on the line for us and got hurt often catastrophically uh, because of you know, trying to defend this country, not for a guy who should never have run for Senate in the first place, worked for four weeks, then got what they say is depression. I don't know if I believe that. You know, no, I think it is possible that, that he has depression. You, you know. think he got depressed from the job? No, no, well, no. I, I read up on him recently, and it's he says he struggled with depression for like many years now, like maybe right. okay. 10, 20 years. Yeah. Or so, so it's not new. And right. I definitely feel, you know, because I, I also have depression. Um, and so it definitely sucks uh, all the time. You know, you, you feel miserable constantly. But what I think is ridiculous is that he's still getting paid and he's getting free health care, you know, at the at Walter Reed. While if if well, uh, none of the great benefits um, would apply to us. And honestly, because, you know, how most employers like it takes like, a few months or whatever, sometimes three or six months or a little around there to like for, for your benefits to kick in. Yes. Uh, but obviously for, you know, for, for, for the ruling class, the people screwing us, they get their benefits, you know, on day one. As, as Carnell is saying right now, and I agree a hundred percent, he never should have been running in the first place. Yeah. Know, and the people, and the people who were around him who supposedly yeah. loved him should not have let him run, should not have egged him on to run, should not have supported his run. They should have been supporting him getting better for the stroke and the for depression. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, it's just, and obviously, I don't like uh, Doctor Oz. You, 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 you know me, Mike. You know I hate both the political parties; they're the same. But it's just ridiculous that, uh, and I, I don't think he should have been able to be elected because of his um, stroke. Uh, just because he seemed like in the debates, he seemed like a mess. Of course, he was a mess. Like and the only did, why he only did two, one debate also... two weeks before the election for one hour. What? And that's once again, and I think this is what should not be legal. Obviously, it's very tough to, like, make a law saying if someone's sick, they can't run, right? That's up to them and their family and the voters. But the voters can simply not vote for them. But it should be a law that you have to debate a certain amount of times when you're running for office that high. And if you don't want to do that, then you are not qualified. You are disqualified and your opponent wins. That's the way it should be. You shouldn't be able to hide in the basement like Biden. You shouldn't be able to do one debate for 60 minutes, two weeks before an election, after people have been voting early for two weeks. And you shouldn't be able to pull with Katie, what Dobbs did uh, in, in, uh, in Arizona and not debate at all. Oh, yeah. You should well, not we'll be able away. to do that. And Congress could literally make a law that you have to debate. You have to have a certain amount of debate. But, of course, the Democrats particularly, will never vote for it because they have found a way to hide in basements and win elections. So, yeah, Biden was definitely... I remember, like, uh, like for about 10 days right after he won the primary when Bernie dropped out, like, he, like, like he, he just wasn't... Because you know how for most of the primary... I mean, the general, he, he was, like, you know, talking from the basement, mm-hmm. you know, like, doing the speeches and stuff from his home, you know? You know, for like about ten days, like, like he wasn't doing anything. Like, like, like people didn't even know where he was. Like, like, like he he could have been dead, and it wouldn't have made a difference. Like he right. like like I, I um he may have been tweeting, but I'm not even sure. Obviously, he's not tweeting. It's his staff or whoever that controls his Twitter account, of course. But like there was no evidence that he was even alive for like ten days after he won the primary three years ago. <laughs> right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. No exactly. sign of an uh, intelligible life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at the upcoming Republican primary that you and I talked about a couple of days ago, and they have already scheduled a dozen debates. Yeah, that's the way it there. should be. That's the way it should be. And look, and they're going to start six months. 
before the first primary, six months. That's the way it should be. That's even a little too early, but still better early than, than none or too late. The people should have the right to see who they're going to vote for to make that informed decision. And you can't make an informed decision due to with, with commercials, ads, and press releases from your PR department. That's not the way it works. And there really needs to be a law. For sure. And the Republicans would be smart to bring up the law and let the Democrats vote against it. They should do that. They should do it. Yeah, well, I definitely agree with Hussein below that uh, Dr. Oz is a sham. Like, like Dr. Oz is like flip-flops on a bunch of stuff. But in terms of what you said about the debates, yeah, because I think the debates are a sham. But it's about, you know, in a democracy, theoretically, that we have our make-believe democracy, um, you definitely need debates. And, um, and it seemed like for a while uh, Fetterman was trying to, like, run, run away from any debates. He didn't want to do any. Yeah, I think he did one, didn't he? Like like, uh, at least one debate. Well, you could see that one that he did, why he didn't want to do anything. But he had known that there were two weeks of early voting already before Mm -hmm. that. So that really could have been the difference in his, what, two or three point victory. It could have been the difference because after that debate, his ratings went down because people finally saw what all of us were saying he was, which is incapable of holding office. But. He was able to get those two weeks of early voting in first, and that probably carried him across the finish line. And look, I'm not saying Oz was the best candidate. I'm not. But the bullshit yeah, thing where the two, the two major problems with – well, the three, the three made-up phony problems with Oz that the media had was that he pushed some kind of vitamins that didn't work, and he didn't really lived in Jersey, not Pennsylvania, and that he was a, uh, you know, a Trump guy. All three. Yeah, Mike. As a doctor, he's not supposed to do that. Like, you're not supposed to push treatments oh. that you know don't work. Oh, so what about Fauci and doctors pushing COVID vaccines and COVID? Mike, you know, man, I've I've already told you. I think Fauci should be in jail. You know, I'm, I'm just no I'm just saying Fauci Karthik is a double standard there. It's like I, all these Democrats have no problem with these doctors pushing vaccines. That I know, were, Mike, but but you know me, man. I I, I hate all the politicians, so I'm the last. And vitamin, yeah. by the way, Karthik, vitamins and supplements. Unless you're a total jerk, you understand that the FDA doesn't even look at that stuff. It says on the bottle that they're not FDA approved, that the FDA has nothing to do with them. Vitamins and supplements are all like, you know, take it your own risk. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. He pushed more than vitamins, but we'll have to look into that. Um, But but do you remember uh, Fetterman's closing statement in the debate? I just remember his opening statement. Hello and good night. I played it. (laughs) That's all I remember. Hello oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. I think what happened was uh, like the last question he was asked, because I saw some of the highlights. I didn't waste my time on the actual debate live, but uh-huh. I think like, the, I, like you know, like whoever asked them the, the, the question at the end was like, so, uh, John Fetterman, why do you think people should, 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 should vote for you over Dr. Draws? And it was such a clown answer. Like he said, oh, I'm, I'm John Fetterman and, and you should vote for me. Good night. Like he didn't, because the question was, why do you think you're better than Dr. Oz? And uh, and it was they didn't answer the question at all. It was like I, honestly, like I I I don't think he was like stalling. Like I, I just don't think he heard it. Like I think because of his health reasons, like he may have not even heard the question. Right. No, I, the, that whole debate was a disaster. He, he had to read off the teleprompter the questions, and he didn't. It was a disaster. It obviously was. Oh a disaster, yeah, I but, remember that. But it was two yeah, weeks too late for us. It was two weeks too late for us. But 
you know, when you're running for Senate or Congress or president, you'd have to debate a set amount of time starting at a certain point before the election. And Congress should come up with those guidelines and everyone should live by them. And look, if you're not going to if you don't want to debate, you shouldn't run for office. It's, it's pretty simple. If you yeah. can't debate, you shouldn't be able to be in politics. It's a huge. Come on. Every, kids, kids learn in middle school. That if you're running for office in middle school, you got to debate your opponents. Stop. I think it's ridiculous. It really yes, is. Mike, before I go and let Daniel talk, is there anything else on your mind you want to share with me? With you? No. Is this, is this like a private therapy session? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, 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 I feel like I say this every time we talk. Like, it's like before I hang up, is there anything else you want to say? No, no. But keep, you know, but there's, 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 there's more show to go. So we'll see what comes up. What topics are you going to talk about before you uh, hang up tonight? Okay, well, I know, I'll, I know you don't want me to talk about COVID anymore. Okay, we already talked about Fauci. No, it's fine, but it's you know, I, I know besides COVID, is there anything else that you're? Talk <laughs> no, about? it's okay. You know, we're not going to talk about COVID anymore today, but we will talk about uh, some other stuff, like um, what topic, like transgender stuff and other stuff in that category. Transgender. There's also oh, there's also a big one. That I want to oh California the mass exodus here in California I definitely want to talk about that so okay oh and we might I might I might I might have to read a an article actually actually a really good article out of the Australia Spectator about the politics of COVID vaccines this was a this was a really good article that was written actually today earlier today all right and then of course there'll be a couple of film reviews so stick around if you can. Listen, what uh, movies are you going to uh, review? Um, John Wick, Chapter 4. Oh, did you see it today? Yep. Oh, and okay. and How to Blow Up a Pipeline. That's the name of a movie, by the way. Really? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not okay. telling you how to blow up I've never up. heard that. You even heard about it? Really? No, no, I have not heard of it. No kidding. Oh, it's a big one. It's a big one. It's coming out in a couple of weeks. I saw an early preview of it. Oh, wow, Mr. Hotshot. Mr. Yeah, Celebrity. yeah, Mr. Hotshot. Yeah, Mr. Wow, Hotshot. Mike. I, I did know that that uh, uh, Mike uh, Cacciapoli became such a celebrity hotshot all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, give me a break, Carthage. Okay, good night. I'll, I'll try to come back if I can. All right. If not, I'll uh, see you later. <laughs> all right, Carthage. Yeah. So, okay. What's up? Uh, three topics. COVID. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, Fauci and Fetterman. I, I, I wish COVID started with an F because then we could have the three Fs there. Just thought it. All right. So first, um, let's go with Fetterman. Um, we're five weeks into his hospitalization. Um, he's, and his staff is saying he is going to be there at least as long as another week. Mm-hmm. No one's no one is hospitalized for depression for that long unless they were having serious, very serious um, suicidal ideation and most likely an attempted suicide. So everyone yeah, should be yeah. really clear about that. It Everybody's sounds more really like a stay in a mental institution. It's a long stay. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's got some really, really serious issues. That's he's, he's not taking a little vacation to try to get shit together in the country club. That's not what's going on. He has got some really, really serious mental health concerns right now. And as you said, they, everyone did him a huge disservice. Um, so that's all I want to say about Fetterman. COVID, there's a new preprint out that um, looks at the association, correlation, I should say, between 
um, across many, many, many countries. Uh, and they're looking at the correlation between excess deaths, all-cause excess deaths, and uh, vaccination rates. Excellent, perfect correlation between the two. Uh, as vaccination rate increases, excess all-cause uh, mortality increases, and highly statistically significant. Um, it's a preprint. We'll see if it gets published in, in uh, given the uh, wokeness of uh, our medical journals, um, because this is devastating. It's just devastating. Uh, and, and then number three, uh, Fauci. Mm -hmm. This is who Fauci was. Fauci graduated from uh, Cornell Medical School. Oh, by the way, if, uh, uh, Karthik mentioned my my alma mater, UCSD School of Medicine. Um, Fauci uh, graduated from medical school in 1966. Right. At that time, you could do a medicine residency mm -hmm. um, in two years. Now, nowadays, a medicine residency is four years. Um, sur surgical residencies, depending on what you're doing, can be much longer than that. For example, neurosurgery, God, it's going to be like eight years. I mean, they're really long uh, uh, residencies. Mm -hmm. um, so he puts in four years of medical school, two years um, in residency, at, and, and then make a big note here. He, uh, he's not a Ph.D., He's not a scientist. He's not. He has had no background whatsoever in doing science, and immediately as as he moved into NIH or or one of the centers at NIH, he lands an administrative job. Since 1968, yeah. he has been working as an administrator. He's not a scientist, although he gets his name stuck on papers. The way science works is if you contribute funding, you weasel your name onto papers. Right. You don't have to do a damn bit of work, not even the writing, not even the writing, let alone him do any of the clinical work, any of the lab work, any of the thinking, any of the idea creation, none of that. Just because you just because you participated in funding a project, because he had his fingers on the till, he will get his name. He probably got his name on literally thousands of papers over his career on which he, he did absolutely zero work. So this is, this is Fauci. Six years, medical school, residency, out immediately an administrator for the rest of his fucking life. And yeah. And who did they and, and they what did they call this guy? America's top doc. Well, Fuck. No. The guy he's, not, he's, he's, he's passing good. himself off as a scientist. And he's and he's got no science background whatsoever. Right. No, this, this, is, this is a joke. But like and, I said, and, and did and did the media tell you any of this about this man? No, no, no. And look, like I said, he has just been like the the uh, uh, politician's best friend for a long time now. That's how he Politician. stayed in this position, obviously. Right. right. And he knows how to kiss ass. He knows yeah. how to kiss politicians ass and butter them up. That's what he's done. And that's how he's kept his position and get and gotten these uh, raises, pay raises. Yep. You know, so uh, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget George H.W. Bush. In the in the presidential debate in 1988, saying Tony Fauci is an unhung, uh, unsung, unhung, unhung, un, unsung. <laughs> he probably un, is unhung. Un, uncut, well hung. <laughs> yeah, uncut, unsung hero in in uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, that's just stuck with me. Stuck with me. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Things that the things that do stick but, with. with by one. the way, Daniel, the the peanut gallery, the people who are listening and writing. 
in the comments are 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 uh, criticizing your audio aesthetics. Can you please tell them why you're huffing and puffing? <laughs> I'm doing outside. some exercise again. Yes. He's, he's, he's working you out. guys. He's doing pull-ups while he's talking. Now my, my my pull ups pull ups earlier today. I am on the cusp of of uh, make, setting a new personal record of thirty three. It's going to happen tomorrow. You I think. think. You try working. At, hey, Carnal Hussein Murphy. Everyone listening. You try working out and talking at the same time. It's not easy. <laughs> oh, you only have so many hours in a day, guys. I know. Got to pack know. it. All, pack it all in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Daniel, anything else? Or... That's it. Okay. I, I, I really want to hear about John Wick. I, I love the Wick series. Oh, uh, yeah. all right. Well, stick with us a little bit and we'll okay. get to it. Okay. All right. Everyone knows, everyone who listens to the podcast knows that John Williams has to get ready. He has to, you know, get ready. John Williams and the Boston Pops are setting up they're currently they just came in my door they're setting up my living room so they can play me on with the film reviews so that will be coming soon uh but first i do want to talk about some more important things right now uh anyway i think they're important you may or may not think they're important i really don't care to tell you the truth all right so what do i what do i go to next there's so many issues that i want to talk about but you know what I think this really stands out. This really stands out. And it's uh, a little bit provincial, a little bit uh, California-centric. But there are a couple of things going on here in California, in case you don't know. Everyone's leaving. Everyone's leaving. And San Francisco, well, the state, but especially the city, seems to be further along in giving black people five million dollars each not just every black resident of san francisco a check for five million but also a one dollar home a home for a buck so that leaves them with four million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars because one dollar for the home and then a yearly um guaranteed income of some crazy amount, like $95,000, $100,000 for the next 250 years. So obviously through the next several generations. Yeah, who's going to pay for that, Garnell? We are. I am. Micah Chopoli. I'm paying. I'm paying. And Daniel, anyone else who lives in the city will have to pay because the city is broke. The city is about 500000 no, $700 million, $700 million in the rears. There isn't money here to do anything. There isn't money here. Once again, crime is through the roof. There are no police officers. Thousands of police officers are quitting every year. No money for cops. Uh, There's no money for anything. There's no money to build affordable housing. There's no money to get the homeless off the streets. There's nothing. There's no money. We're broke. But yet, there'll be billions of dollars available somehow to give every black resident who qualifies, which would be based on the qualifications, almost everyone who's black would, uh, $5 million a year. Um, So here, this was written today. This really shows how the people in this city are so, they live such a vacuum. They think everyone else, not only in the country, but the world thinks like them and agrees with them. So, there, the title of this 
article written in Yahoo News by Alexander Nazarian is, San Francisco grapples with racism and reparations. The world is watching, black residents say. So these people believe that the world is watching. Someone named Tanish Hollins claims that everyone else is watching, waiting, and making sure San Francisco does the right thing and gives every black resident $5 million each instead of the real reality, the actual reality, which is everyone outside of here, certainly everyone outside of California, thinks we're fucking insane. Insane. Crazy. Nutty. But these progress. These people have never spent a week in Florida, let alone some other country. Spend a week in Florida and see what they think about San Francisco. See what they think about California reparations. Go ahead. Spend a week in Arizona. Spend a week in Georgia. Spend a week in Missouri. Spend a week in Iowa. Spend a week in Utah. Spend a week in spend a week anywhere except maybe New York City. Maybe. And believe me, a lot of people there that I know who are liberals who think we're nuts. And they'll they'll think they'll tell you how crazy we are here. Okay, so but these people believe the world is watching to make sure we do the reparations, not watching to make sure we don't do the reparations. So I need to read this article. This is basically all about these people, these black residents and the and the white elitist liberals with white guilt who think that this is actually a really good idea. A really good idea. Because, hell, there are no white people struggling here. And this idea, this idea of giving one race money is, of course, not racist. There's nothing racist about giving one race only $5 million. Nothing. That's equal. That's equality. Right? That's not racism. What if I said I want to give white people should get five million? No, Italians, Irish. Would that would it pass muster? Well, of course, this won't pass muster when it comes to the courts either. This might not even pass muster in the wacky lefty liberal Ninth Circuit Court in San Francisco. Certainly wouldn't get through the Supreme Court. So as I've talked about before, this is all virtue signaling. This is like the student debt cancellation. It's virtue signaling and is trying to get a certain group that Democrats have been hemorrhaging as far as election goes in the past few cycles back into their camp and solidify them simply by promising fairy tales, promising butterflies and unicorns that will never happen. But what they'll say is, oh, if not for those awful Trump courts, yeah, like the Ninth Circuit, which is all liberals, <laughs> those awful Trump courts, you would have had your money. Ugh. This is what this is what Democrats will then say. This is why. And they'll say the same thing once the Supreme Court puts the kibosh on the student loan stuff. They'll say, oh, well, that's why elections have consequences. Elect Democrats to the presidency and then they'll put liberals on the Supreme Court and you'll get your student loan canceled and you'll get your five million dollars of reparations. It's a game they play. But I'm, I've gotten to the point now where I'm not feeling bad for the people anymore. Because if you're going to be this fooled by this garbage, 
by this nonsense, then you deserve to live in poverty and filth forever. You do. Because Democrats, liberals don't care about you. They care about their power, their power, their votes, their power, their people, their elected office. That's all they care about. They don't care about blacks. They don't care about whites. They don't care about Latinos. They don't care about Italians. They don't care about anybody. They care about staying in power and winning elections. It's all they care about. And so, once again, I'm always loath to kind of talk about the reparation thing because I know it's never going to happen. And it's a false flag, false story, smokescreen, whatever you want to talk about it. But... I, wa- I always want to show my audience where I'm living and why when I say I got to get out of here, I can't take it here anymore, there's a reason for it. I don't just complain because it rains or I don't just complain because, you know, uh, a lot of the stores have closed down and it's no longer a 24-hour city. It's not only these small things which do add up to quality of life, but it's major things like this with living in a place where these people are so provincial that they think the rest of the country and the world thinks like them and agrees with this stuff. And they don't. They don't. They think we're insane. They think we're insane. And when I go other places and I tell people, I live in San Francisco or California, one of the first thing the majority of the people will say is, why? Why do you live there? Why? So, they, they think these people actually agree with this stuff? No, they don't. They don't. But this was what we went through the last three years with COVID. These people were told, don't travel because you'll die. But they really didn't want people traveling because they didn't want people leaving California to see how great things were in places like Florida. They didn't want people traveling out of California to Florida and seeing how great things were in the free state of Florida. They wanted people to stay here and believe what the media and their politicians tell them is happening in Florida. That's what they wanted. And for the most part, that's what they got. There were very few people like me who traveled during COVID. There were very few people like me who traveled constantly for the last three years and saw how life was much better, much more high-quality life in places like Nebraska, Georgia, um, Florida. I was able to see that because I traveled. Most of these people didn't travel because they were told, don't. They were told, if you travel, you'll die. If you go to Florida, you're going to die because everyone else in Florida is dead. And they believe this crap. I can't stand this provincial mentality of people who claim to be smart, intellectual, worldly, million degrees, but yet they're so fucking provincial, they don't leave their block, and they think they know what the rest of the world, the rest of the country thinks about them. That's what they think. So there's that. And yes, there's another column about how the people think that America, you, they're saying, the people here who believe in reparations are saying, America, you owe us. America owes them. America owes black people money in the year 2023. 
I want to talk about how America treated the Irish and Italian immigrants, the ones who built this country, all right? The ones who built this country, who came here in the 20s and 30s and actually built the teens, 20s and 30s, and actually built the country we live in now. And the way they were treated compared to the way people are treated now. Where are the reparations for my people, for the Italians who built this place? Where are they? You could play this game with any race. Okay, give reparations to everybody then, or nobody. But it's, it's, it's illegal, it's racist to pick out one race and say, oh, they deserve the money. They deserve the money. No one else does. No one else was, no one else was treated poorly. In the Great Depression, only blacks were treated poorly. How many poor white people are there now? Generations of poverty. Generations of poverty, especially anywhere here in California, but deep south, certainly go to Missouri, Alabama, Louisiana. How many poor white people and not just poor white people now, but generations of families who had nothing, nothing. Where's their money? Or how about this novel idea? It's now 2023. Pick yourself up. Use your legs, get up, get out, get a job. Make something of yourself. And don't believe the people who are saying you need government help to make something of yourself. You need big government. And believe me, when they mean that, it's there's racial undertones to that. It's like saying you need basically big white government to help you. You need the big you need the white knight, the white knight syndrome. To help you is incredibly racist. Incredibly racist. And of course, of course, the Democrats love this. They want everything to be about racism. They want racism forever. They don't want racism to end, just like they don't want COVID to end. They want these things to go on forever because it's power to them. It keeps them in power. These are wedge issues they can get votes on. They don't want this stuff to end. They don't want kumbaya. They don't want all of us getting along. They want all of us to hate each other. That's what they want. And that's what you do when you say, hey, I'm giving your black neighbor five million. You get gots. They want you to hate your black neighbor. They want to cause that animosity. That's exactly what they want. Should, why are we giving it to them? Why are we giving it to them? It is sick out there and getting sicker, people. It really is. By the day. By the day. <sighs> well, transgender. There's a transgender ideology. Called an, yeah, here's another one. This is a another part of... I spoke about this yesterday with the cancellation of John Cleese and that John Cleese should be canceled because he believes in freedom of speech, Right. And he thinks that, you know, the woke culture is the, the wokeness is, is killing our culture, killing comedy. That's what he's interested in. He's a comedian. And the comedy he did with uh, Marty Python was very con- would not be considered woke. Right. Be considered the opposite of woke and how you it's hard to do that stuff now. And that's killing comedy, which is killing culture because we need to we need to laugh. <laughs> we need to laugh. We really do. Um, but it's, it goes far beyond that. It goes far beyond that. But of course, uh, there are some on the left who think those of us who are not wacko leftists use the woke thing because we want to bring back my wife jokes. This is what they believe. This is what they write. 
this is what I read yesterday, that we're all, we, we're all, we're all mourning the death of my wife jokes. This is what they truly believe. So, but this is the real problem with cancel culture. Uh, this is an article written uh, earlier today about Pennsylvania. There's, there's a Pennsylvania Democrat, speaking of John Fetterman, it's not him, another Pennsylvania Democrat, is calling on universities to cancel speakers who question, dare to question, transgender ideology. So Democratic state representative Latasha D. Maines questioned University of Pittsburgh Chancellor Patrick Gallagher's choice to allow conservative speakers on campus during a hearing. During a 2023-24 House Appropriations budget hearing, Mays demanded the university cancel events featuring speakers who've been critical, just critical, of transgender ideology. The petition hold the University of Pittsburgh accountable in protecting LGBTQIA1, 2, 3, a, B, C, plus individuals, which is later cited by Mays directly. Warns of incoming guests such as competitive swimmer Riley Gaines, Daily Wire commentator Mike Knowles, and Daily Wire podcast host Cabot Phillips. Mays specifically called out Knowles for his comments at CPAC that transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. So transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely is so offensive to this person. But remember the video I played a couple of shows ago of that black militant in 2003, 2005 on C-SPAN saying the entire white race needs to be eradicated. I'm sure Ms. Mays wasn't bothered by that at all. But this comment really gets her going. Transgender advocates have interpreted this rhetoric as genocidal or violent, but not, not that comment in 2005 on C-SPAN by the black militant saying all white people need to be destroyed. The white race needs to be eradicated. That didn't, that doesn't bother them. Doesn't bother them. It has come to my attention. That's why I can't take, you know, I might even in a prior life, <laughs> not in a prior life, in a prior time, I might be bothered by that statement transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. I might have been bothered by that. I might have even agreed that that's a little bit, that rhetoric is a little bit, a little bit too much. Okay. But not when it's coming from people who are so hypocritical that they don't call out one of their own when they say the white race should be eradicated. If you are consistent on your side, but if you're inconsistent, you can go take a shit. It has come to my attention that these three speakers who have crossed the line of free speech over into hate speech targeted transgender students in the transgender community. They're coming to campus beginning this Friday. One of them saying essentially transgender people should be eradicated. Although if you really look at that statement, that's transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. What they're probably talking about is this constant push to push it on everyone else, right? To push it on children. To say that an eight-year-old should be able to get their genitals mutilated and can never go back later in life when they realize they made a mistake, too fucking bad, right? Or that maybe like, you know, like maybe women, men should be allowed to dominate women's sports, right? Fake women should be allowed to go into women's sports and dominate them. Maybe that kind of stuff is what the guy's talking about. Maybe they should have him come to the campus and then he can, they can, he can say what he believes and then they can debate him. How about that idea, folks? How about we debate people? 
that we don't agree with. How about we listen to them, forget about one statement made up of six words, and we let them talk, and then we debate them, and we call them on something. If we call, if we, we call something bullshit, okay? How about that? How about free speech? She added, so Chancellor, you're allowing them to come on my campus. How does this keep transgender students safe? How does this keep LGBTQ plus students safe at my alma mater? And how does this align with the values at the University of Pittsburgh? So what she's saying is the words make them unsafe, that that people should be afraid of words, that people we should censor words, that words are dangerous. No, words and ideas are not dangerous. They're not. They're not. What's dangerous is policy. That says, hey, come to California if you're 12 years old. We'll let you cut your penis off. That's dangerous. You don't need your parent knowing. Your parent doesn't need to know if you're 12 that you're going to cut your penis off. We'll do it for you. We'll cut your, we'll give you a mastectomy here at 10 or 12 or 13. And you know, that's dangerous. Words are not dangerous. A speaker is not dangerous. What's dangerous is people who want to cancel these people and stop free speech. That's dangerous. We fully stand with all of our students, including our trans and non-gender students, who have a concern about this, Gallagher responded. We understand the concerns, and we agree that a lot of the rhetoric is happening nationally and will potentially happen on campus is a normally problem. Once again, the, the, the rhetoric is problematic for them, saying they can't deal with the words. They can't deal with other people's ideas that might not align with their ideas. So we're going to grow up. We're going to – this world's going to become the generations – are going to become people who can't deal with words, who are scared of ideas, who are scared of people who disagree with them. It it is so violent. Your words are so violent. I can't deal with your words. Or, more importantly, I don't have the ability to debate your words. I don't have the ability. Usually, People who don't have the ability. We just talked about debating and politicians who are afraid to debate. Often politicians who are afraid to debate don't want to debate because they're on the wrong side of the issues and they can't defend their beliefs and they know it. So if you're afraid of debate, if you can't debate, that means maybe you should come on to the maybe you should actually think about what you're going to what your what your beliefs are and maybe change them. Because if you can't debate, it means you can't back up what you believe. Or at least intellectually, you can't put into words what you believe, what you believe. And that's a problem. Yes, universities are or should be a place of dialogue and, and constitutional and academic free speech. Okay? And this whole idea of if you, if you don't agree with me, you can't speak. If, I don't, if you don't agree with me, your words are violent. You're a domestic. You're a terrorist because you disagree with me. That is such an easy way to try to get out of actually debating an issue. It's such an easy way to try to put the other side inside a certain box because you don't want to deal with what they're saying. And it is unconstitutional and it is un-American and it is anti-freedom. To say, I say your word. Who is this person? Who's anyone to say, I say your words are violent. I say you shouldn't be heard from because I say your words are violent. 
Who the fuck are you to decide? Who are you? The arrogance of these people, the incredible arrogance. But once again, they simply can't debate because they're on the wrong side of the issue. Because they know if they were going to debate me on this, I would say, no, you have the right to be. If you're an adult, you can be whatever you want to be. You want to be a woman. You want to be a a man. You want to be part animal, part, uh, part. I don't care. But what I'm saying is children who can't drink, they can't go into the military, they can't vote, they can't do a million fucking things until they're 18, shouldn't be able to get a sex change operation that they can never reverse once their brains are fully developed and they decide they made a mistake. But they don't want to, in other words, they can't debate that. Their only debate they have is, yeah, is they think that a child should be able to get their penis chopped off they want. So say it, say it. But they know they can't. They know they can't. So what they want to do is they want to pigeonhole you as being a transphobe or whatever it may be just for simply having that idea. Just because they know you have that idea that they can't defend. They can't take the other side. They can't defend it. Most people will not agree with them. They would rather just shut you up and say you're a transphobe. So my question is, okay, if you believe that my feeling that anyone under 18 shouldn't be able to have these kinds of procedures, especially without their parental consent, that I'm a, a transphobe, good. That then I'm a trans, then, then, then fine. I'll stand by that. I'll stand by that definition of transphobe. But they know they can't do that. They know they can't be honest and just say what they really believe. So they have to call you names to shut you up. That's what it comes down to. A under 18 in most uh, under 16 in this entire country, you can't even have sex. <laughs> but you can decide to change your sex, to change your gender. And you can never go back again. And we've seen the devastating effects of this. incredible okay so there were two more things there was the powerful politics of covid vaccines and the twitter oh well you know we did speak about the twitter files the latest dump about the stanford virality project and uh i'm actually remiss on this because i believe this dump came out about a week ago and i'd never spoken about it because there have been so many dumps i think this was number 19 overall but this was a pretty big one you know, it really was a pretty big one. So I, I should probably, I should probably cover this. I should probably talk a little bit about it. Um, and it, this has a lot to do with, this is actually part and parcel of the politics of COVID vaccines, right? The way the dissenting voices were eliminated and canceled on Twitter and other places. Um, because the they didn't they didn't uh, back up the uh, prevailing narrative of the, the Fauci slash Burks slash Walensky regime, and so these voices like Jay Bhattacharya, Monty McCary, so on and so forth, they were uh, they were silenced and censored and deleted. So this is more about that, but let, let me this is this was written by uh, Jenny Holland. 
in spiked online. And this is interesting. The Twitter files uh, reporting rumbles on. Last week, Matt Taibbi published a lengthy Twitter thread about the ties between Stanford University's uh, virality project and Twitter executives. The virality project was established to detect and counter false and misleading narratives in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic. The 45 tweet thread shines a light on how this extensive collaboration attempted to censor legitimate information in the COVID debate. Now, this is also a part, if you remember what the, you know, Taibbi and Schellenberger were in front of uh, Congress talking about. And uh, this is this was also, uh, you know, part of that. And one should remember that Matt Taibbi has indeed won multiple awards as a journalist. And Bernie Sanders himself, in both 2016 and 2020, called Matt Taibbi one of the best journalists in the business. OK, uh, these latest revelations are particularly important because they provide beyond any doubt what many independent observers already suspected throughout the lockdowns, that the political elite and big tech were trying to block true information. In an ideal world, this would dismantle once and for all any notion that our supposed betters were merely acting to protect the world under threat. They were not. They were acting to protect their own power. Taibbi posted screenshots showing that the Virality Project categorized different types of content that it thought should be stopped on Twitter. This included Stanford vaccine, standard vaccine misinformation, well-known repeat offenders, for example, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and true content, true content, which might promote vaccine hesitancy. The later category covered stories of true vaccine side effects. Taibbi Rice, the Virality Project, routinely framed real testimonials about side effects as misinformation from true stories of blood clots from the AstraZeneca vaccines to a New York Times story about vaccine recipients who contracted the blood disorder uh, thrombo. How, how do you pronounce this, Daniel? Thrombocytopenia. Thrombocytopenia. I got that right. Of course, the majority of people who received the COVID vaccine suffered no serious side effects. Nevertheless, censoring true stories of injuries is inexcusable. People can surely be trusted to weigh up the evidence and make their own decisions, right? Imagine you were one of those people injured by the vaccine. Not only would you have to wrestle with the very real physical consequences, but would you have to battle against a conspiracy of narrative manipulation? You would be up against an establishment that explicitly aims to discredit and silence you. That sounds to me like the very definition of adding insult to injury. The Virality Project also took umbrage at the circulation of Tony Fauci's emails from 2020, which concerned a potential lab leak of COVID. In a briefing in 2021, it warned that those genuine emails could be used to foment increased distrust in Fauci's expert guidance and in American public health officials' institutions. There are two extremely important lessons we must learn from the latest Twitter file. Firstly, the word misinformation does not mean anything other than information the elites don't like. The word's only function is to smear. Mike Schellenberger, another journalist who's been instrumental in bringing the Twitter files to light, made this fundamental point in his testimony before Congress. He described the U.S. as being in the grip of a censorship industrial complex. 
which purports to counter misinformation, otherwise known as being wrong on the Internet. The second important takeaway from the Twitter files is the dubious nature of a lot of what is passed off as evidence in mainstream media. Much of what is treated as in undisputed fact is just recycled opinions, hypothesis and insinuations, often from compromised institutions. The fact that Stanford researchers play a central role in the latest cachet of Twitter files reveals the true nature of the think tank and policy shop ecosystem. Supposedly, they provide analysis, research, and data, but they essentially function as idea laundering operations. They are not trying to seek the truth as much as manage the narrative. So, and you can read a little bit more. This was on uh, spiked-online.com. And it's a real, this is a really good article written by Jenny Holland. Uh, and I recommend that everyone uh, read it. And so, you know, in a way, yeah, you know, it, it's a, a shame what's happened. But we really need to learn from it as we move on and realize that this whole idea of adults doing their own research and being able to take in all of the information is incredibly important. Okay. Adults, as, as, uh, is written in that article can take in all the information. Okay. And make their own decisions and make decisions for their children. Do the positives outweigh the negatives? Does being 25 and healthy outweigh the negatives that would come from a vaccine? The possible side effects, the possible short term and long term. Have these vaccines been tested long enough? I'm 30 and I'm healthy. Do I want to take the chance? I'm 85 and I've got high blood pressure and I'm obese. Do I want to take the chance? These are all things that adults can do. But our politicians, our government didn't want that to happen. They wanted to institute their narrative on everybody, throw a wide net over everybody, which is the exact opposite of real science and medicine. A doctor isn't going to treat someone 35 with high blood pressure the same as someone 85. They're not going to treat someone who's 40 with prostate cancer the same as someone who's 90 with prostate cancer. This is not – there's not one uh, – uh, where they, they used to call it in um, Coney Island, pay one price. Remember, pay everyone pays one price. Well, there's no one method to deal with something for everybody, every demographic. And that's what this government wanted. They wanted everyone to get the vaccine. Everyone from basically from zero to 100 to get not only the vaccine, every single one of them and every single jab that followed. The only reason you would do such a thing, look, if I have a product, I want everyone to use it, right? Because I want to make more money. And that's what it comes down to. Then there's a big pharma making as much money as possible. And if they said, which was more in line with the truth and honesty, which is that if you're 65 plus, 70 plus, or if you have uh, these three pre-existing conditions, you should probably get this. But everyone else, no, they wouldn't have made as much money. The way you make the most money is, say, from zero to 100, you get all of them. <laughs> of course, that's the way you're going to make the most money. Oh, the, the times we've lived through, really, the dark, dark times we've lived through. And this was a, you know, we, we covered a lot of stuff this week. We covered a lot of stuff this week. 
And uh, a lot of it, of course, was not easy, as usual. Um, but we are approaching that time every week <laughs> when uh, I get John Williams in here and he uh, plays me in. Plays me on. Is it plays me in or plays me on? I think plays me on is the best thing. But uh, I do have a couple of uh, a couple of films to review. I do want to mention before I get into the film reviews that I'm not a huge John Wick person. I ha you know I'm just not a I'm not a John Wick. I do I do love Keanu Reeves. I, I love Keanu Reeves. I mean, there was a time early on in Keanu Reeves' career where people thought he couldn't act. And he does have that very laid back kind of like skater guy way of delivering lines, which he's really developed into his own thing. All right. His own little niche. And it has suited him well. And I do want to mention this before I before John comes on. Uh, I was watching Fox about a month ago and they were talking about Tom Cruise and they were talking about uh, Maverick and how he does all of his own stunts. And he's so physical and he's 60 years old, yet he still does all these physical things and puts himself through the ringer. And Pete Hegseth made the great point that so does Keanu Reeves. And no one gives him the credit that they give to Tom Cruise. And I'll get into more of that, you know, when I when I talk about when I talk about the movie. But um, I think we're going to get John in here and hopefully he can uh, he can play me on here in a second. John, are you, are you ready? John and the, the Boston Pops, are you guys uh, almost ready to go? Okay. All right. They're ready? All right, guys. Oh, they're always so good. They're always so damn good. I'm always so impressed with them. John Williams and the Boston Pops, ladies and gentlemen. All right, what are we going to start with? Do I start with... Well, I guess since I was talking about it, I guess I'll... I'll hold on, let me, let me get to... Let me cue this up for you so everyone can hear. So I think we'll start with John Wick. All right, so this is, this is John Wick uh, Volume 4, right? This is John Wick... Volume four. Should I play the? Let me see. Let me see if I can cue this up for you here. This hit yeah. goes out to you, Mr. Wick. Woke up this morning. 42 regular, wasn't it? Yeah. And so it begins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Challenge him to single combat. If you will, we will have your freedom. Amen. All right, that's a little trailer there. You know, music video and a lot of images from from John Wick. Um, but once again, I want to admit, I'm not a huge John Wick guy. I'm not, I'm not that big into John Wick, but I can tell you <laughs> that watching this one, this is this, in this episode in chapter four, the, the story is basically John wants to get out of the business. He wants out, but there's a certain, 
if you've seen the series, there are certain things, protocols in the, in the, uh, the high table. Remember, he, he wants to defeat the high table. They call the high table of the, of the, of the guys he has to work under that he's been kind of cursed to work under. And he wants to get out of it. He wants to get out of the business. And before he can do that, he has to fake off, uh, face off against a new enemy. Okay. And the new enemy is played by the great, the great, uh, scars, which is Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård, by the way, Bill Skarsgård, uh, plays, uh, Pennyworth in the It series. He plays the crazy clown in the, uh, <laughs> in the It series. He gets to do a little more. Well, he's great in those. He's fantastic. But obviously he gets a little, a bit, bit more acting, if you will, in this one. And unfortunately, it's the last, uh, performance for, for Lance Reddick, who plays a character named Sharon. He's a, uh, a concierge at a, at a uh, New York hotel. And this is, uh, his last role because he, he just died about a week ago, Lance. That's another story. Lance Reddick, who was ripped in fantastic shape at being 60 years old, died. Uh, natural causes, they say. Anyway, well, maybe we'll talk about that some other time. But unfortunately, uh, this is his last uh, role in the John Wick film. And of course, there's the Bowery King, Lawrence Fishburne, and, you know, uh, all the, all the characters you've known to love. Harbinger, Clancy Brown, and, uh, of course, Kane. Donnie Yen, the, the blind assassin. So it has a lot of unique characters, really well-defined, well-developed characters. That's one of the great things, I guess, about the John Wick series. But uh, this film is truly arduous to watch, not in a bad way, but the action sequences are so brilliantly shot. The camera angles, the stunt work, Combined with the CGI, the absolute physicality of Keanu Reeves' performance, as you might know, of course, it's a combination of like fist fighting, karate, and gunplay, and just uh, incredibly acrobatic stuff that Keanu Reeves does. And we know most of it's done by him. He wants to do his own stuff, which is continuity-wise, it looks much better. But he puts himself through the ringer, and the the film directed by. Chad Stahelski really enjoys putting John Wick, a.k.a. Keanu Reeves, <laughs> through the ringer in this. There are so many fantastic set pieces. Most of them take place on location in Paris in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower and that famous church that's on, also in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower. And that staircase, that the 300, there's a scene that's shot on like that 300-step staircase in which Wick has to make it to the top of the staircase at a certain amount of time. And, of course, he has to go through all these hitmen who are coming down trying to stop him. And just as he gets about three-quarters of the way up, there's a scene where one of the hitmen push him down the stairs, and John Wick goes tumbling down 250 stairs, only to have to go through the whole process again. And it's just an amazing feat of physicality and, and filmmaking. There's another set piece that takes place um, in Paris, and it's a circular drive where there are cars going around it, and John Wick is in a car that has lost its doors, and the stunt work that's done in this scene as he goes the opposite way of traffic in the circular motion is just absolutely phenomenal. The, so the, the, the set pieces, the action sequences, are some of the best I've seen in an action film in a very long time. 
And let me tell you something. Keanu Reeves really, I mean, once again, it's arduous to watch it. I can only imagine what he had to go through. I don't usually say this for actors, but he's worth every penny that he got paid to do this film. Yes, as usual, the John Wick character doesn't say much. There's not much, doesn't have much dialogue, you know, um, and he delivers it in his usual Keanu Reeves deadpan way. But the action sequences are fantastic. And I don't know, I think John Wick aficionados are taking well. I believe the reviews so far have been the best of all the four films. And that says a lot, you know, when people who are really into a franchise, because what you'll find with these franchise films, like John Wick, Batman, whatever it may be, uh, Ant-Man, the people who are really into the franchise have no problem saying this, this, this movie sucked. It was terrible because they expect a lot. And this one, I think, is getting the best reviews so far. And like I say, it probably deserves it because, you know, like I say, it's 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 tough to watch. It's three hours of almost nonstop action sequences. And uh, I felt every bit of it. And uh, Ke- what Keanu Reeves does is simply phenomenal. It really is. So I'm going to uh, enthusiastically enthusiastically i'm going to enthusiastically recommend john wick volume four not tell you how it ends that's going to be a surprise i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell you okay so that's our first film our second film i'm gonna queue up the trailer this one i think is worth listening to is called how to blow up a pipeline and this is the opposite of john wick in that if john wick's budget was let's say 200 million the budget for this film was probably more like 10 million it's an independent film called how to blow up uh, a pipeline welcome back to boom talk today teaching myself to make a homemade blasting cap if this works it'll be step one make our own improvised explosive might be headed to texas for the winter once in texas project what kind of project try to stop the pipeline from being built on my property poisons the air water damn this place is sick you guys cooking meth in here you ready to start working you have to show how vulnerable the oil industry is by hitting something big Michael, what do you think the odds are we blow ourselves up? I don't really care. We can blow the pipe at the hilltop. Keep the oil from leaking. You're not actually thinking. I'm not thinking about it. I'm doing it. What if you all do structural damage? Structural damage is kind of the point. This is destruction of federal property. Terrorism. American Empire calls us terrorists and we're doing something right. You're seeing this? Let those who profit from mass death know their properties will be trashed. Three, two, one. Defame us and claim this was violence, vandalism, but this was justified. This was an act of self-defense. 
Okay, so the name of the film is How to Blow Up a Pipeline. And you can tell from the trailer what this is about. This is basically about a group of environmental activists that come from all different walks of life um, who decide that they're going to go to uh, Texas and blow up a pipeline that's running through people's homes and their land. So the film, in many ways, and uh, these people come together and they find each other and they decide to go. And so the process of this film is basically watching these people come together and go through the process of putting together all the explosives and all the devices that need to be assembled in order to blow up successfully, throw up the pipe, blow up the pipeline. And intercut inter in the film is it goes back and forth showing how these people came to want to do this, right? What may be happening in their lives has influenced them into the belief that they need to do this um, to uh, help the environment, right? So I want to say this. It does not get bogged down in politics very much. There's one character in the film who questions a little bit what's going on. And does blowing up this pipeline really hurt the oil and gas companies? Does it hurt the, 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 just the average person, right? Because oil and gas prices are going to go up, so on and so forth. There's a little bit of that just sprinkled in for good measure. But for the most part, this is just a thriller that really puts us in the mindset of these people and doesn't even though you know i might have questions about whether something like this uh you know, politics around it and 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 are they are these environmental activists actually terrorists the film doesn't get caught up in that and for good reason uh i don't think they wanted to make the film about that i don't think they want to alienate half of their possible audience either but what it really is is a bare knuckles thriller in which we're watching these people go through the process of building basically a bomb and at any moment it can all go wrong and all of them can blow up and uh once again it, it gives us a background on them which lets us understand that they're thinking into why what they're doing is right and just and is uh as the character says in that trailer, an act of self-defense. But because it really focuses on the, basically the process of building a bomb, and most of the film is about that, and at any moment things can go awry, it keeps us on the edge of our seats and doesn't get bogged down into politics, which is the smartest thing. It really just treats this as basically a, a thriller uh, as we watch this process play out uh, of, of building uh, this, it, once again, it, it's very simplistically and directly titled How to Blow Up a Pipeline. It's basically what it's about. It's also based on a book. Um, and it's uh, got a very good young cast of basically just uh, people who you may have seen here and there, but no one who stands out. Just a good young cast. And a couple of the standouts are Forrest Goodluck and Lucas Gage. Uh, Sasha Lane, directed by Daniel Goldhaber, uh, and also written in, and starring Ariella Barrer. She's she's uh, the lead, basically. Um, so if you're mood for just a really good thriller that doesn't get too bogged down in the politics and doesn't give you much time to actually think about the politics, then uh, I would say that it's also shot on film, not on video, which gives it this very authentic quality very important so i think i think the idea that it's an independent film shot on film with an unknown cast a really good talented young cast of of actors who really portray actual real you know uh people 
blue collar workers, I think it really works. You know, uh, I think it works a lot better than if the cast had been uh, known celebrities or if it had been more like an Ocean's Eleven kind of thing where they're all kind of like very slick characters. These are really real people with uh, uh, real reasons for being in this position. And like I said, the just, just the, the bare bones uh, process of putting these bombs together, really <laughs> incredibly well filmed, really well edited, very suspenseful. So I do also recommend How to Blow Up a Pipeline. So you've got two films to see. Oh, by the way, sorry, you don't have two films to see. John Wick opened already. How to Blow Up a Pipeline opens up on April 7th. So you can see it then. All right. So I think uh, I think that's it. I think we're going to end the show. I think we're going to end the week. It was a good week. It was a lot happened, you know. And Monday, I believe the uh, the, the grand jury is going to meet again. The Trump grand jury. So we'll see what happens because our next show will be Monday night. So maybe we'll have some uh, some some update there. Okay. Well, we can end it. Well, I want to remind everyone that the name of this show is And Let's Be Heard. And it airs weeknights, 11 p.m. Pacific at 2 a.m. Eastern time. Okay. Which means our next show will be Monday night at 11 p.m. Pacific time. But until then, everyone have a great weekend. Everyone have a really fantastic weekend. As usual, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Okay. Tell your friends. Uh, until Monday night. This is Micah Chopley reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.